Welcome to CEF Insights, your source for closed-end fund information and education brought to you by the Closed-End Fund Association and available on our website at www.cefa.com. Today we are joined again by Tom Rosine, Head of Research Services with Refinitiv Lipper and author of the Fund Market Insight Report, which provides in-depth monthly commentary on the closed-end fund market. We're happy to have you with us today, Tom. Diane, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Tom, you recently published your report for December 2022, which covers over 600 closed-end and interval funds. How did investment markets generally perform in the fourth quarter of 2022, and what was the impact on closed-end funds? Well, Q4 was an interesting one. Basically, started with a bang, October, November, fantastic returns, and then we ended the quarter in December with just a whimper. It's, it's interesting you know, all the headlines were talking about China's lockdown being rescinded and, and, you know, slowly but surely. And now we know that they have taken that off. But it was just early on in the quarter they were talking about that. We were talking about soft landings in the economy. You know, the Fed had, you know, raised interest rates three consecutive months in a row, 75 basis points, and then another 50 in December. I mean, so people were saying, you know, maybe we're approaching a soft landing. We had Goldilocks employment reports. And really, Q3 earnings were pretty good. You know, I mean, everything, everybody was expecting kind of more of a disaster than it was. But then the concerns, I think realization that inflation was rearing its ugly head, that recession was possible, and that even with better than expected non-farm payrolls, even recently, that that really supported the Fed really keeping that foot firmly on the brakes. And so we had a tale of two cities if we take a look at Q4 and what the returns were like. And this was all really based on one thing. And then I say it's one thing, but it's, it, it's the yield curve. It's what the Fed has been doing. And the yield curve remained in, inverted at the two-year yield over the 10-year yield. And just for, I know 99% of the people already understand this, but the two-year yield is generally lower than the 10-year yield. You and I, if we put our money, you know, lock it up for a number of period of time, we want to have a higher return at the longer end than we do the short end. Well, recently, that has not been the case. And in fact, we've been talking about the inversion of the two-year yield against the 10-year yield for quite some time. But what we did notice here in December, and it actually started in November, is that we started to see that the one-month yield was actually higher than the 10-year yield. And this is not something we've seen for quite some time. So from about November 15th to December 30th, we saw what's called an inverted yield for the one-month yield versus a 10-year yield. And we saw some of the biggest moves during the quarter at that one-month level. So the one-month yield for the Treasury yield ended up at 4.12%. That's really quite high from, you know, whatever, at the beginning of the year, I think it was at 0.03 or something ridiculously low like that. But they saw 133 basis point increase. The two-year, we saw about a 19 basis point increase for the quarter, and this is all for Q4, to 4.41. And then the 10-year yield only saw about a five basis point increase for the quarter to 3.88. And the reason I point this out is this is what actually made a very good quarter for us. Prior to that, we've been seeing fixed income funds really just get hammered. Equity funds just get hammered. And this turned out to be a really good quarter. In fact, this was the best quarterly returns that we have seen since Q4 2020. That's a pretty big statement. And the average closed-end fund returned 4.93%. Now, you know, people go, well, the average closed-end, what about equities for fixed income? Well, 
Equity funds actually returned 6.40% overall. And on the fixed income side, they are able to post a 3.82%. So really this issue, this consternation of whether we're hitting inflation or recessionary periods only impacted us during the month of December. And, and that's where we suffered monthly returns for the first month in three. So if I take a look at this again, December returns, we see the average fund lost about 1.50%. Equity funds lost about 3.12%. And fixed income funds only declined about 0.27%. So this was a good story, but I do want to wrap up the one-year period of time. This was one of the worst one-year periods that we have seen since 2008. So when we take a look at this, and, 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 and I'm sure you get, everybody's read that as well. The Dow posted that I think the worst return since 2008, the S&P, et cetera. The NASDAQ actually had worse years. But, but 2008 was about twice as much as losses. So I do want to do a little comparison contrast. So the average closed-end fund is down about 11.23% for the year of 2022. Now, if we look at uh, 2008, and again, this was the worst return this year that we've seen since 2008, 2008 was much worse. The average closed-end fund was on 30.30%. But what is maybe more alarming is in 2022, we saw that all equity funds were down about 11.23, equity funds were down about 9.98%, and fixed income funds were down 12.21%. That is something we do not normally see. First of all, we generally don't see fixed income doing that poorly. I mean, we've always been in what I'm going to call a bull market for fixed income funds. That's not the case any longer, right? Interest rates are rising. There's an inverse relationship. So we saw a very correlated performance for the one-year market. And I know people say, well, 9.98 minus versus 12.2 is not highly correlated, but it certainly is very correlated at that. So those are the things that we saw. But for 2022, there were some light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. I mean, we saw natural resources funds up 22.06%. We saw energy master limited partnerships up 20.24%. And then on the bottom side, we saw convertible securities, which, by the way, had a fantastic 2020 and 2021, but they were down 23.92% for the year. Emerging markets were down 23.67. And I know people are probably listening going, wow, all these numbers coming at me. But the reason I'm highlighting this is it is showing us some opportunities and changes. On the fixed income side, everybody thought we were going to have this inflationary period. It didn't turn to pan out. I mean, we're in inflation. But at the long end of the curve, people are discounting it, that the Fed's going to take care of it. So loan participation funds, mitigated losses better than other funds in the fixed income universe, but still lost 4.45%. The uh, U.S. mortgage closed-end funds down 5.97%. But the big losers were munis. High-yield muni lost 21.14% for the year. The next worst category was emerging market debt, losing about 18.99%. So this really was a story about differences and about changes. I certainly alarmed about the year, but wonderful quarter end. I think it sets us up for a better 2023. Your data breaks out closed-end funds into over 20 classifications. What classifications were the best performing for the month of December and which sectors struggled? Well, let's talk a little bit more about the macro groups. You know, I often talk about, you know, equities and fixed income, but we break those down into three different groups. And so on the equity side, what we saw was mixed asset funds did a better job mitigating losses than they did for the other groups. So they lost about 2.01%, but world equity funds 
lost about 2.78%, and domestic equity funds were down 3.58%. So really, we saw, um, I'm going to say people putting the brakes on domestically, we really had a strong run-up, but they really were kind of questioning how badly they wanted to punish, punish the world, the global side of the, the, the fence. And this shows up in the fixed income side. So when we're taking a look at the December returns on the uh, fixed income side, world bond funds actually were up 0.58%. And taxable domestic bond funds were only down 0.26%. Munis still took a little bit on the chin, but again, for December, it wasn't too bad. Most of their losses were done in the prior months. But muni bond funds were down 0.53%. So that was kind of the story for that. But looking at the individual groups now, kind of the best performers and the worst performers, on the equity side, again, it was down 3.12% for December, but developed market funds were down minus 1.12%. Preferred income, so income and preferred stock funds were down 1.39, and sector equity funds were down 2.41. However, the pariahs of the group of this equity universe for December Energy Master Limited Partnership lost about 5.87%. Diversified equity funds on the closed-end side, obviously uh, on a NAV basis, lost 5.16%. And natural resources uh, lost about 5.15%. Now, if we move now towards the fixed income side, which again only lost about 0.28%, as I said earlier, we saw emerging market debt rise to the top. You know, this bit that uh, China might be able to you know, start opening up its borders and, and uh, you know, doing a little bit more trade and, you know, free up that strong COVID-19 restriction that they had. Well, emerging market debts were up 2.20% for the month. High yield funds, so people were putting risk on, were up 1.30%. And global income funds were up 0.16%. So here's kind of that story I was belaboring in the one-year return uh, portion is that we are seeing uh, some change. Now, on the downside, we saw safety not do so well. So the triple B rated corporate debt funds leveraged, lost about 1.25%. New York munis lost about 0.80%. And then high yield munis lost about 0.72%. So overall, we would have had a much better quarter had we not had December happen. But even with the declines in December, Q4 was really pretty strong. The last six to eight weeks of the year sometimes see a significant tax loss selling in the closed-end fund space. Was this the case in 2022? I do think we saw some tax loss harvesting in December, but I think there was so many things going on at once. Again, it wasn't just another 50 basis point hike that we saw by the Fed, but also that really collaboratively, the Fed came out with their dot, uh, plots and said, hey, listen, we're looking at a terminal rate for the Fed funds rate to be more like five and a quarter in that area. Uh, when in September, they were talking about being like four and a quarter. So, you know, I think that between that, those losses, the really strong gains that we saw in Q4, and also us leading up to Q4 earnings season. I think some investors may have just took some of those hard-won profits off the table. But in fact, we do know that people did do some tax loss harvesting in order to capture those losses, offset them. And this may set us up for January gains as people get back by that wash rule of uh, selling those in 30 days or less. So. The way closed-end funds trade in relation to their net asset value is an important consideration for many investors. Did you see any specific trends in premium discount behavior for December? We saw a really, I'm not going to say meltdown, but a really large widening during the month. And, you know, the median discount for, and the reason, by the way, I use median rather than average is that there are some funds out there 
Uh, I'm not going to name her off the top, but you know, I have a hundred percent or over a hundred percent premium. Uh, there are funds uh, there that have like a 30 or 40% discount. So what we like to do is get rid of that skewness of that data and take a look at the median kind of right in the middle. So we saw the median discount for all funds for December now, and this is obviously on December 30th, because that was the last trading day of the month, widened about 260 basis points, widened or worsened to 9.92%. Now, equity funds saw about, again, remember, well, it's not the average, so you can't really compare these, but equity funds saw about 256 basis point widening to 10.75%. And fixed income Funds overall saw about 252 basis points, widening or worsening of their discount to 9.61%. How do current premiums and discounts compare to their historical averages? Well, they are much wider. I mean, I'm going to say almost a doubling since uh, a year ago. So I'm going to give you January 31st, 2022, and you count the months, that's actually 12, as everybody knows, instead of doing it from December. But basically, we saw that January 31st, 2022, the Median discount for all funds was at about 4.59%. While as I told you, the most recent one on 12-30-2022 was 9.92%. And how that broke out for equities a year ago, a 4.71% discount. Now we're at 10.75. And for fixed income, 4.55%. And now we're at 9.61. So it really was quite a widening that we've seen. And it really goes hand in hand with what happened in this last quarter, because it was actually doing a little bit, you know, improving over, let's say, October, November, and December really just took a shot down as, again, the realization that we might be heading for a recession, we might have uh, more inflationary concerns around there. And of course, ahead of the Q4 earnings season, people just want to keep their heads down. Which sectors saw the greatest change? Well, the high yield closed end funds, macro groups. And so again, we just kind of put, when I use words macro group, it means that we're taking high yields from all the categories and putting them together. Basically saw the largest widening of discounts. It was 453 basis points to 9.35%. Now that might tell you that high yields actually had a really nice discount prior to the December month end. But uh, again, you know, to see almost doubling that category was, uh, I don't think amazing. People were uh, trying to take a little bit of risk off and high yield certainly had that. But the most, uh, I'm going to say the smallest widening of discounts we saw from World Equity Macro Group and uh, that's an equity funds group. And they only saw a widening of their discounts by about 53 basis points to 12.64. So still pretty high as far as the discount goes, but certainly uh, they weren't punished as severely as some of the other groups. Tom, since we last spoke in July, inflation remains a significant issue. The Federal Reserve has aggressively raised rates and markets have struggled. Are there sectors among closed-end funds where investors may find particular opportunities given where those funds are trading relative to their historical averages? And how do you see the direction of the markets? We spoke about a year-end tax loss selling earlier. Do you believe we can see a positive January effect in the closed-end fund space as we begin 2023? You know, I, I think we may see some benefits from that, especially if uh, investors, I'm kind of answering your last question first. If we have investors that are looking at opportunities to buy in something they wanted to be in anyways, but they just did it for tax loss harvesting for tax purposes, once they hit that 30-day kind of limit to be able to avoid the wash rule that has to do with you know, tax loss harvesting, I do think there are opportunities. Now, that said, I, I think we have to you know, remember all eyes are going to be, and I've mentioned it three or four times at least already, 
Q4 earnings. This is going to be a very important period for us. An employment report just came out recently. And in the employment report, we actually had a better than expected number of new jobs being put out there you know, by the U.S. US economy. But one of the things, if you dug deeper into the report, we did see that there was some sort of degradation in the part-time or, if you will, seasonal employment going down a little bit more than people had thought there was going to do. And this is because people are concerned that we are hitting this period of time where we could have inflationary period that's going to cause a recession or even People have not been kind of floating out the, the term of uh, stagflation anymore, but, but certainly that's a concern that we have inflation continuing up and kind of a stagnant economy come around. But if you take a look at those, the idea that we've, again, I've told you that the premium discounts were just you know, monstrous, right? A doubling in some cases, but in, in most cases, you know, rising about 250 basis points. There are some classifications that are probably worth taking a look at, but again, not for the faint art. For instance, we know that the dollar has weakened against most of the major currencies for the quarter. Now, that's not true for the year. The the U.S. dollar really did well. But if we are starting to see a fading of the strength because of this inflationary purposes, you know, interest rates, uh, you know, going up and the like, uh, but at the long end kind of coming down, emerging market funds were down 23.67%. Developed market funds were down 19.92%. For 2022 and global funds were down 18.89. So is there an opportunity to get into some of those international and global regions at a very deep discount and also after being punished quite severely? Well, again, we all could jump in and we'd be in another year of downturn. I mean, if we take a look at some of the other periods of time where we lost in like in 2008 or in other periods where we saw some big period downturns, Usually the next year does pretty well. However, we have seen a couple of uh, time periods. Take a look at 2000 to 2003, where we had multiple years of down that didn't turn around until, you know, that third or fourth year. So I would be cautious here. But again, these are some opportunities we can do. Also, high yield munis down 21.15% for the one year period. Unheard of. I don't know anybody that would ever thought that, twenty you know, high yield munis, of course, it's high yield, but 21%. Emerging market debt's down 18.99%. And then New York munis are down 18.52. But again, I do want to cautious people while they're looking at these, these numbers, trying to buy in at a, a very wide discount, is recessions can play a very big deal on municipal bond, right? On, on the debt that's out there. You know, will they be able to service this, you know, their, their debt, their debt load? You know, will the cities and counties be able to make those payments, you know, as we get into a recession, that's going to impact the the collection of of money there as well. So those are some opportunities for us. But again, I don't believe they're for the faint. Tom, you also follow interval funds, which typically offer limited quarterly liquidity to investors. How did interval funds generally perform over Q4 2022? So for the quarter, interval funds underperformed their conventional closed-end fund counterparts. And you know, I, I think that might be expected. This is something where, you know, we had a very strong return. So if you were in the closed fund space, but in the conventional space side, you may be able to make some other buys and sells that you may have not had the opportunity to do on the interval side of the, of the fence. And where this example shows is, for instance, when we take a look at it, so the con- traditional closed-end fund, real estate fund, actually returned 3.27%, while the interval fund posted a, a loss of 1.93%. Sector equity funds on the interval side only gained 2.30% during the quarter, while traditional closed-end funds were up 8.02%. 
And one of the last examples, and I have numerous to, you know, I could ramble through, but um, it'll be lost on the listeners. But global income funds actually saw about a 2.82% rise for interval funds, but 5.2% gain on the traditional or conventional closed-end fund side. Now, the reason I cite that is what a difference we saw. So if we took at the loss end of it, the one year, remember all these big losses, biggest loss we've seen since 2008, really what we saw was interval funds mitigate losses better. So on the real estate side, which I just rambled off for the quarter, basically we saw interval funds on the real estate side return 3.50% return, while the average fund on the closed-end fund or average real estate fund on the closed-end fund side lost 28.46%. Wow, what a difference. Same thing with sector equity funds. On the interval fund side, 1.05%. On the traditional closed-end fund side, down 17.94%. The reason I highlight these is because we've been looking at these as interval funds as, you know, you really need to be able to make it through the rough patches, right? This is one of the rough patches. You know, when it's going down, it mitigates losses better. But on the upside, there may be opportunities that are missed by not being on the conventional closed-end fund side. I think more study needs to be done in this area because uh, this was really kind of phenomenal numbers. Every single interval fund or the average for every interval fund classification underperformed as traditional on the quarterly basis, but outperformed in a really tough year on a one-year basis. So we might be able to use these type of trading tools uh, to help us, uh, if you will, immunize our portfolios. Again, more to be done on that. What asset classes or investment strategies do you believe offer the most interesting opportunities for interval fund investors as we begin 2023? You know, again, I, I, I think that this is where we need that study I was just talking about. So for instance, if I know that I'm buying these and I'm really not buying them, obviously there is no discount advantage. So what I'm looking for is I'm going to call it private equity or private fixed income exposure, something I don't expect a lot of liquidity for. And I'm willing to hold those for a long period of time. You know, I think that you could look at real estate, you could look at general bond, you could look at global income, which did a much better job mitigating losses over that one year period of time than their conventional closed-end funds. That said, though, again, you know, I mean, a, a lot of folks listening to this are probably pretty active traders, and uh, they're going to be looking at the quarterly results of why interval funds did so poorly, didn't really do all that bad, uh, but in the up market, why they didn't uh, outpace their uh, conventional closed-end funds. So that's the area that I guess I would take a look at is, you know, looking at these for income, um, you're certainly not going to get the benefit. There is no uh, discount that you can benefit from. But certainly, if it's a long buy and hold, it may be used for, again, mitigating losses in downside performance and maybe a hedge against that opportunity of, of loss. Are you continuing to see expansion in the number of interval funds available for investors? The new funds, the IPOs were by far much higher on the interval side. We had 22 interval funds that were created in 2022 versus on the conventional closed-end fund site. We only saw five new funds come to offer. So that was kind of unique. And this is really compared to, so five to 22, right? That's, that's quite a big spread. In 2021, in comparison, we saw 13 conventional closed-end funds come to market uh, and 24 interval funds. So really, you know, obviously the preference was almost one to two. Uh, in 2021, but it's almost three and a half times larger for 2022 on the interval fund side. So there has been a really large change in preference, I guess, at least for now. 
uh, for the fund management companies to actually offer closed-end fund interval funds rather than just conventional funds. Tom, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Diane, thank you for having me. Great to be here. And we want to thank you for tuning in to another CEF Insights podcast. For more educational content, please visit our website at www.cefa.com. This material is not and is not intended as investment advice, an indication of trading intent or holdings, or the prediction of investment performance. All information is current as of the date of this presentation. Views and information expressed herein are subject to change at any time. Refinitive Lipper disclaims any responsibility to update such views and or information. This information is deemed to be from reliable sources. However, Refinitive Lipper does not warrant its completeness or accuracy. This presentation is not intended to and does not constitute an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security, product, investment advice, or service. 